0: This is Benjamin Whitmer, author of Pike, and you're listening to the best fucking
1: podcast on the planet.
2: Satan is real, working in spirit. You can see him and hear him in this world.
1: Welcome to to where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week we're reviewing
0: the novel Corrosion by John Bassoff, a little bit about the author. John Bassoff was born in 1974 in New York City and currently lives in a ghost town somewhere in Colorado. His mountain gothic novel, Corrosion, was called Startlingly Original and Unsettling by Tom Piccarilli, a four-time winner of the Brown Stoker Award, and Beautifully Bleak by international best-selling author Jason Starr. In addition to his work as a writer, Bassoff is the founder of the crime fiction publisher Newpulp Press, which was called Genius Masked as Genre by New York Magazine. That's kind of big. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, that's not a, that's not a, yeah, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) i write a little bit about the book. This is a synopsis we pulled from Amazon. A mysterious Iraq war veteran with a horribly scarred face. A disturbed young man in a strange mountain town. A masked preacher with a terrible secret. Amidst a firestorm of violence, betrayal, and horror, their three worlds will eventually collide in an old mining shack buried deep in the mountains. Corrosion, the shattering debut novel by John Bassoff, is equal parts Jim Thompson, Flannery O'Connor, and William Faulkner. And an unforgettable journey into the underbelly of crime and passion. Drawn from the darkest corners of the human experience, it is sure to haunt readers for years to come. How do we come by this book? Our good friend Matthew McBride recommended it to us. Has Matthew McBride been wrong yet? He's treated us pretty well so far. He's been steering us pretty faithfully to some good stories
0: awesome well we'll see if uh, we'll see how how the McBride meter um, holds up on this one
1: yeah yeah and the first thing I want to say about uh, before we get into talking about the story uh, new pulp press this is our one two three I think fourth technically fourth book um, that is new pulp uh, related we read hell on Church Street Frank's not of blunder the rapist and now um, this one who is written by the founder of Newpulp, but it's actually published by Dark Fuse. Yep. And then there's, like, a special runner-up. Hard Bite, is now being published by Newpulp, but it originally came out through Blasted Heath, uh, electronic only. It's
0: funny, because I didn't realize how many New Pulp books we'd, we'd actually read. And, and all of them were really good. Yeah, it's a serious uh, part of the catalog. <laughs> so, yeah, this book, um, you know, a... I really wanted to read a horror novel for 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 halloween this is our episode that's going up right before halloween and you know in some ways by your standards this actually qualified right i mean <laughs> it's got some horrific elements to it yeah it does so um uh pretty good stuff here so yeah the synopsis says it all this unfortunately is one of those books that i think we're going to spend so little time talking about the story because of just the nature of it um, but we'll try to give you our best rundown on it I I just yeah I I keep thinking like what do I what can I say about this story without you know ruining some piece of it and there's not a whole lot that's not right in the synopsis
1: yeah so um, logistically the uh, the book is broken down into four separate parts and each part um, focuses on the point of view of a specific character one character is Joseph Downs then it goes to Benton Falk Then it goes to Joseph Downs again. Then it goes to Reverend Wells. So each section is from the perspective of the character that it's named after. And um, while it's not a continuous story, they do kind of intertwine. And part of the book is learning how one character's story affects the other character's story.
0: Yeah, so in a pretty significant part, the first part, we see through the eyes of Joseph Downs, who is, uh, his truck breaks down near the small town. He's, he's heading back home, and uh, he almost immediately gets involved in a physical altercation with a guy who's kind of uh, roughing up his wife. They were married, right? His wife? Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets involved in that, and that's kind of the catalyst for this whole first, well, for the whole book, I guess, but specifically for this
1: first quarter or so. Yeah, and then um, then it just follows. Joseph Downs is the is the the character we're following for this first part, and it kind of follows him through, kind of being broken down in this town, this strange town, and uh, as time goes on, finding almost finding reasons to stick around instead of moving on to where he originally was going, almost as if like he was a little bit nervous to get where he was going, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, so. It's, it's probably I'd say like novella length this first part with the story of Mr. Mr. Uh, Joseph Downs and it's really interesting the uh, eh. again we're hitting this thing difficult to talk about because like don't want to reveal anything um, the, the major um, identifying factor the major thing that's um, like a standout thing about the character is that he's got a hideously deformed face which is a uh, um, an injury that he uh, got while he was serving in Iraq. His face is almost described as melted.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't keep that doesn't keep our kind of femme fatale uh, you know uh, love interest, um, Lilith McClellan. Um, she is the abusee in this uh, this altercation that I mentioned earlier um, from you know kind of kind of hooking up with uh, with Joey Downs. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's well, that's basics the, the first whole, you know, third of the book probably because some sections are longer than others. And then we kick back from, so that's in 2010, then we kick back seven years and we
1: follow a teenager Benton Falk. This one got a little bit twisted. This is where you really ramp, ramped up the, the, the weird and depraved kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Benton and his family live um in the mountains of i'm assuming like colorado or something i believe so yes because they were near near denver i think Mm -hmm. um and his mother's dying and while his father's not a doctor he believes he can find a cure so right there there's like this twisted element to it and um and so this kid is dealing with a family that, you know, he's losing his mother while at the same time his crazy father is doing these weird things to try and save her. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a little bit messed up himself.
0: Yeah, it's a its a very dysfunctional family. Dad's obviously a little nuts. Mom's kind of a whore. Um, <laughs> well, was kind of a whore. I guess she's dying and kind of laid up in bed, so a little less whoring going on now. And, and Benton Falk is just a poor, confused kid that's grown up in this really weird household and as the events of his life unfold over a series of you know a few months is what what we see with him where where the first section only covers you know a period of a few weeks um, we, we see you know I think maybe even a couple of years in Benton Fox life it's a, it's a significantly longer period of time we spend with him um, actual time wise lengthwise it's probably about the same as, as the first section. And then, of course, the inevitable, um, you know, kind of bringing together of characters,
1: Uh, you know, we skip back to Joseph Downs for part three of the book. Yep. And this is where the two storylines kind of merge and you find out how one impacts the other Mm -hmm. and um, how what we learned about the two separately um, drive us toward the inevitable conclusion of of their storylines together. Yep.
0: In part four, I don't even know if it really serves as a part. It's almost like the, uh, um, like the ep- like, epilogue. like the epilogue, yeah, of, okay. of the story. So, um, what to say about this? That a lot of people in this in the story really fucked up. I it's, mean, there's uh, really there's really not much of any you know people who's who have their shit together in in this whole in this whole book. There's a couple of side characters that seem like they're doing okay, but uh, everybody's a little twisted. Everybody has something that's motivating them. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh I don't know how to say it. it's like you know like like downs in the beginning. Not that the the story of kind of being lured in by a woman is is anything
1: new, but it's handled very well overall and in, in, throughout the course of the story. Mhm. Yeah. And um I think that's kind of the thing of it. Um the theme between characters in a way or at least the theme between sections and the characters that are primary to them is uh, how we've got these characters that are unbalanced and they're drawn in or they see, um, I don't want to say salvation, but maybe comfort Mm -hmm. or normality in these women that they encounter, even though, even to the casual reader, you know, it's pretty obvious that things would end badly. And I think that the characters deep down probably know that, but Mm -hmm. they have this kind of unfortunate hope. That like these girls could could kind of make their lives better.
0: Yeah, I um, it's weird that you say that because with with Downs and, and Lilith, who we mentioned you know earlier, so she's eh, Lilith's a tramp who, who's being kind of beat up by her husband, um, probably deservingly so. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't even know that Joseph I think almost accepts his kind of you know fate with her. I don't even know that he's looking for hope or salvation. I think at that point he's kind of seen this storyline play out before.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. And then Falk, the kid, you know he becomes just um, infatuated with a, a woman that, that's older you know old enough to be his mother is what's right. said a few times yeah so yeah, but women, man, something bad in the world happens it's usually because a woman made you do it. probably yeah. in my experience that's very true. yeah so um, <laughs> so that's it. Uh, violence, man. Violence in this book is not—it's um, not very violent throughout. You know, like it's not very frequent. When it is, man, this hits pretty, pretty goddamn hard.
1: Yeah, it's not like yeah, like you said, not consistently violent, but um, it packs a punch. It's got that kind of un. There's not a—it's not stylized. It's just kind of stark mm-hmm. and like brutal, um, like violence you'd expect. It was very real, very authentic. So not choreographed and very, you know, flower, florally, you know, described. It's just like this fucked up thing is happening. <laughs> well, you know,
0: it's actually interesting to say that because we have all the makings of of what you said it wasn't. So we have the, the Iraqi war veteran who could, in theory, and other books we've read, take on three or four guys, you know, with some real fancy moves and yep. take them all down. But, yeah, it's definitely not that kind of book. It's very... Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of what what you start to see as violence and and you know action or whatever in in a noir book nowadays much flatter. Yeah. Um much more much more we're going to get to the end of this fight as quickly as possible as dirty as we can. Not a lot of you know long pages worth of combat. It's right. it's you know it's usually I'm going to hit you in the head with the heaviest thing I can find and this is going to be over pretty quick, so kind of nice but yeah far more realistic than than
1: like you said the stylized violence that that we see in in most movies at least right which i thought was good i think it's consistent with um if anybody's listened to our previous episodes or read like hell on church street or there's not really a lot of violence in the rapist but some of those more gritty crime novels Mm -hmm. the hard-hitting ones yep um this is consistent with that i think that Bassoff's style is exactly the type that new pulp typically looks for
0: Yep, I have to agree I'm not saying anything else about the story, I'm done
1: (sighs) alright, so since we're not talking about the story, I just want to talk about a few things that I noticed about the book that are bookie related did you notice the literary shoutouts that I made notes of? not even a little bit I'm very curious to see if if these were intentional or not yeah, we'll see if John listens to the episode. I gave him a heads up that it was coming up. We'll see if I was right or if I'm just reading into it. But um, <laughs> oddly enough, this is totally a coincidence. The three literary uh, references that I picked up on are three authors that were listed in the synopsis. So, Jim Thompson, the book that I read by his is The Killer Inside Me, which is, and it was written in the 1950s. It's a very classic kind of noir. Like a psycho kind of dude story. And there's a town called Thompsonville in this book. Mm -hmm. Flannery O'Connor. I don't really have to talk about Flannery O'Connor, but uh, um, Benton Falk's father in the book, his name is Flan Falk. And then William Faulkner, the last name of the entire Falk family, is is, um, reminiscent of his name. So I picked up those little literary... Hints, I, and then I'm assuming those are legit. And I'm thinking that there's probably even more that I just didn't pick up on.
0: Dude, I wasn't sure about it when I read your notes, and then I completely passed over those. Are the three names in the synopsis, and now I'm, I'm on. I'm, I'm with you on this. That's and right. Probably that is probably a little too coincidental not to have been a, a, <laughs> a specific be. nod to yeah. right. <laughs> <coughs> no, I, I glazed all over that. I guess I was too wrapped up
1: in the story. Um. Yeah, and then I mean like really, when I was reading the book, the I kept thinking about The Killer Inside Me, which I read right before we started this podcast back in 2011, because I wanted to get some of the classic, like, you know, the classic crime stuff, I just wanted to get a feel for it, and, and really this has some kind of parallels or just kind of uh, channels a little bit of that energy where your protagonist is... A little bit crazy there's some intrigue involving women and the things that we do and it's there's some plotting and scheming so there was just some some nice parallels it it was reminiscent of the style that i got from the killer inside me so which i thought it was cool i mean i really dug the killer inside me and um and i really dug the the feel the overall feel of this book here i'm gonna
0: bring down the class on the podcast a little bit i'm looking at your literary shout out list again and i'm thinking this
1: is also a list of authors i've never read Full full disclosure, I've only read Jim Thompson, I've never read Flannery O'Connor and I've never read William Faulkner. I've heard they're okay. I've heard awesome things about Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> I have <clears throat> Yeah, I've heard that she can uh, that she she's she's okay. That's what most people say. She's alright. Maybe um, we can do like a throwback episode and hit up some Flannery O'Connor. Maybe we could. If we're gonna go throwback all right, never right. we'll do throwbacks we'll, we'll do the throwback discussion another time. Uh you ready to do some quotes? I have some quotes from this book. All right here's a problem. I hit an issue while reading this book where um, I was reading it on my uh, the Kindle app of, of my iPad. Mm-hmm. Something happened, and um, I lost my quotes from the beginning. Then I read a chunk of it on my computer where um, I don't have notes available from, and then I have a few notes, but I looked at them, and they're nothing that are like really representative of the book. So I don't really have any quotes available. It was a total technical glitch. Oh, you know what, dude? I'll take care of quotes for you. Yeah, you're carrying me this time. Here's Rob's
0: first quote from uh, fairly early on in the book. Me, I watched from a distance, seeing how it all play out, because I wasn't a violet man except when I had to be. That's Rob's first quote. Not bad, Rob. I like that. Hey, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Uh, uh, she moved closer on the bed. Her face was in soft focus, pimpled skin, bloodshot eyes. Lovely? No, but I was in love. It happens too easily for me. I love that because the chick isn't even hot and, you know, causes this guy to kind of throw his life into upheaval because she's a woman
1: and that's what they do. Sometimes being available is enough.
0: Here's another quote for Rob. <laughs> She showed me the bruises and the cigar burns, told me about when he'd broken her jaw, when he'd given her a black eye. I was beginning to think their marriage wouldn't last.
1: (laughs) I have one. I found one. Okay, have at it, bud. Alright. After that, we lay in bed for a while without talking. Outside, the wind kicked a tin can down the sidewalk, and I felt good and empty. Um, This one's a little... well, actually, maybe it's not really that spoilery.
0: She was a broken angel and I loved her. I said, I'll do it. I'll shoot him in the skull and then we'll be together for a spell. You just keep on lying and I'll keep on lying and we'll
1: be happier than hell. I liked that quote and I actually looked it up to see if it was a quote from a song or something, but I couldn't find anything. Nice. Um, here's one that I, in my notes, the salvaged notes on my iPad um, that I just kind of like. <clears throat> well, here's a quick one and then i am gonna do another one after it. She lost the baby and kept the monster, referring to the husband. Mm-hmm. And here's another one. Um. And so there I was one particular morning, standing on top of the world, and all around me was trash and filth. And I knew there was some greater truth, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Good stuff. Very good stuff. This is in reference to a
0: rifle that uh, Beton Fox, so the younger the younger yeah. character, is carrying. Not that I'd need to shoot it. I only needed it because I was slight in frame and lacked the instant authoritarian standing that a Winchester did. I like it. Mm-hmm. Some good stuff in here. All right, Dan, a little religious reference here to wrap this up. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You can't whore yourself to God. God is no pimp. You're right about that, she said, laughing. He's worse than a pimp. A pimp beats you for money. God beats you for adulation. That was good, too. Yeah. Lots of good quotes in here, but I don't want to upstage Rob since he only had the two that he was able to salvage. So Uh, humble and thoughtful. That's me. Um, Yeah, I just... Really, the writing, very, very solid and very um, stark. And uh, the one thing... So explain this to me. The lack of quotation marks. Help me out with this. Does (laughs) that make it harder for you
1: to read? Um... I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about the lack of quotation marks because, I mean, it's just a stylistic choice. But the problem is, when you do that, you have to be very clear with your um, he says or she says or those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing about this book was that um, the the quotes or the the speaking parts that weren't in quotations didn't necessarily exist in their own line or paragraph. They were sometimes just piled onto the beginning or end of a. Of a paragraph, so that was a little bit... It took a little bit to get used to, but overall, I don't think it's a problem. Now, do you know
0: Do you know what other book immediately comes to mind whenever I read something without quotation marks? Uh, no. Kiss Me Judas. Ooh, nice. Yeah. yeah, every time, man, that's what I think about. Not that it happens all that often. It's interesting, <laughs> it's just... It, it's an interesting choice, I guess. No, I didn't have any trouble reading it. Um, especially once you get in the flow of it after, you know, three pages maybe. But, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting choice. And I wonder, I often, I would not often, every time I read that, I wonder why the choice to do it that way.
1: Yeah. I thought you were going to say a Kevin Lynn Helmick book because I haven't read any of them and he's been giving me shit online about it now that we talked about it in the previous episode. Dude, he was not giving you shit about it. He was saying how grateful he he was for your review of the cover of his novella. <laughs> I think you're totally reading it wrong. I don't know. At one point he said he was going to send a Boys Town friend to take care of me late at night.
0: All right. Listen, if there's one guy that doesn't have any friends in Boys Town that I know, <laughs> he's got one. Maybe it's kept, count me. It's kept, well, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Let's wrap this up. You go ahead. You go ahead. I'm, I'm dying
1: to hear what you thought of this because we did not talk about this book at all off the air. We didn't. Um, this book uh, kind of happened for me in a vacuum. Like I said, it, it was re- recommended by um, Matt McBride. And so I didn't read the synopsis or anything, trusting his, his judgment about stuff. Um, uh, he recommended that and he recommended another book. Um, so I just kind of dove into it and I didn't know what to expect or what it was about. Uh, but I dug it a lot. Again, it kind of evokes that Jim Thompson kind of feel for me. Mm -hmm. and um, it's just got the very stark very realistic, authentic um, dark writing style, which I dug a lot the characters um, were interesting and there were some things that I think that if they were executed by anybody else might seem like a gimmicky thing just to make a part of a story work but he did it in a very convincing way Um, I don't know, I just dug it it went through it really quickly I think i did it in like two sittings and um um yeah so i dug the book i'm gonna do four stars for this one yeah i um
0: i didn't really have any expectations as a matter of fact i'm pretty sure i didn't even read anything about this book not even the synopsis which i realize is actually only like one line long when you take out like the comparison stuff so I had um, I had kind of nothing to go on other than Matthew McBride's word, um, which again has uh, you know has not steered us wrong and didn't do so this time, as you may be able to tell from the, the review that we both really enjoyed this book. Um, a lot of my favorite things about this book um, I can't talk about. Yes, it was very stark, um, you know, and it, which was good. But it, you know, it's, it's not like I, I I've read Stark before. You know what I mean? So it's not like I was blown away by it. I was blown away by the creativity of the story though. Um, and although there's not much I can say, it kind of starts off like I said. I'm not trying to slight the book, but it starts off with that premise. We know the the kind of skanky chick, you know, is trying to get a, a a dude, you know, to to do stuff for her. This is this is going back, you know. There's probably stories that are hundreds of years old that start exactly that same way. So I didn't, you know, when I was getting into, it, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of feel like I've read this before, you know. You get that feeling, mm-hmm. but it definitely went in a completely different direction than than what I expected, and it was really really good, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the writing is, is spot on. Again, I'm still kind of curious about the lack of quotation marks. Not that it bugged me, but, um, you know, when I read Kiss Me Judas, uh, Will Christopher Bear wasn't around for me to ask, so I'm kind of asking publicly now. What's with no quotation marks? So anybody, not not just John Bassoff, um, but uh, anybody is welcome to, <laughs> to answer that question. Um, but all in all, yeah, I'm right with Rob on this. Four stars, I mean, it was a really enjoyable book. I'm looking forward to reading more from this guy. Sweet. I can't remember the last time we had the same rating on something. Yeah, I mean, this was just really good. And you understand what I'm saying, though, right? I, I, my expectations were all right. McBride said it's good, so I have that expectation. And I got into it, and I was like, meh, it's, it's, it's all right. And then I was like, whoa, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the other thing that we didn't mention, is it packs a lot of punch for, for a short book. This, I think, clocks in at like 250 pages, which by my standards at least is really really short and and still was very impactful and was able to deliver a very good story in that in that length which isn't easy to do. Yeah, I agree. So, totally agree. So Matthew McBride will be taking more recommendations from you in the future.
1: He's special, two for two right now. Huh? Yeah, special Matthew McBride episodes. All right, we should move on cuz we got a bunch of other stuff to talk about tonight still. So. Indeed we do. So, Rob. Yes, sir. um, You want to tell folks this this crazy story about how you've become a local celebrity? (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe this didn't come up in the previous episode. Um, uh, Misty Bennett was in town. She was visiting Chicago from from, um, her home for a little bit. She was in town for about a week or so, and uh, so we were hanging out a few days. And uh, we were walking around my neighborhood... And this is, this is um, my admission of just how much of a dude I am. She wanted to uh, go see some cute shops or something, and I said, well, what is a cute shop? And predictably, it's a bunch of stuff that, you know, like clothes or, you know, those types of things. Lots of teddy bears and Hello Kitty items. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Not not the sex toy store I live above. Um, <laughs> or the regular toy, really. Yeah, so things that, you know, anyway. Um... So I said, well, I don't know if there's any of that around here, but we do have a bookstore. So, of course, we went to the bookstore. We're hanging out. Um, we're there for 15, 20 minutes. She decides she finds a book that she's going to read um, for her book club. And we get to the counter, checking out. And um, she pays, and he's we're getting ready to walk out the door. And, and the guy that's behind the counter looks at me, and he says, are you Rob Olson? <sighs> i swear do
0: you know do you know why we didn't talk about it in the previous episode why because it wasn't me that got recognized because then we would have yeah. talked about it we would have <laughs> kicked off the show talking about it i probably would have brought it up a couple times during the
1: review there was an there would be emergency like five minute episode that we post just about <laughs> just talking about that yeah you're right i'm like welcome go to go. Bo- and you're like no 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 no. we don't have to do that yeah, just yeah, like yeah, hear yeah. the story okay <laughs> um so I said, yeah. And, uh, and, 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 I'm thinking immediately the moment he said that, I'm thinking, I'm going to get made fun of so hard by Misty because of this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, uh, getting recognized at a bookstore. And, uh, thankfully, right away, he says, yeah, we're friends on Facebook. And it's like, oh, yeah, Bob, I know this guy. He, uh, he's the owner of the bookstore. And, um, by somehow we ended up friends on Facebook. We probably had a ton of mutual friends or whatever. And, uh, But then I'm like, okay, so that's cool. We're friends on Facebook. She heard that. But then he starts talking about the podcast and asking me about the podcast and everything. And I'm like, uh, come on. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to catch so much shit about that. And sure enough, the moment we walked out the door, Misty's like, are you rabble, dude? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, the things that podcasters have to deal with. I know. Local celebrity. I'm a local celebrity.
0: So here, okay. So here's a little story um, um, for you too. That's that's somewhat related. I guess things podcasters have to do. It so I'm gonna have to do this in a kind of roundabout way. Um, as some of you may know, Rob and I met because we used to work together years ago at the same retailer. And then uh, you know, Rob kind of went on to do something else. I moved on from there. Blah blah. At any rate, turns out Rob and I have a uh, so one of my coworkers, not somebody that works with me, but someone who works for my company, used to work with Rob at a previous job Rob had. Small world, right? Retail so, is a small world. Retail is a small world. Hold on a second because I want to pull up this email. Here's how not to get on a podcast. Um, fir- first <laughs> first is is have know something about the podcast, which is always important. So we get um, review requests for things like my my fishing memoir, like a, a true life story of 30 years of fishing. Um, listen, do a little research, you know, find out what the podcast is about. But here it is. So I'm going to have to kind of dance around this a little bit. Uh, This is the message. I recently visited such and such location to have something done. And uh, (laughs) the manager there noticed I was doing and suggested I reach out to you for a potential interview. He also mentioned the name Livius and the location that I work, though I do not recall the connection. If there is potential for an interview, I'd appreciate the opportunity to talk further with you. Name redacted of the writer. Um, So here's the deal. This guy had to go all the way to our website to send this because this is through a contact form. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even bother once. I, I'm sure. I'm sure my name must be on four thousand like different places in that website because you talk about things we talked about on the show. You make fun of me when you're doing the posts. Like it's all over the place. He's like, you mentioned the name, but I don't recall the connection. Nor did I bother doing one minute of research to find out.
1: Nor did I click the about us button. Well, or just not, just just
0: not mention it. But like, hey, Rob with one B. Uh, <laughs> like I don't yeah. know. <laughs> any rate that's that's yeah so any rate if uh, name redacted is listening shoot us another email make it a little nicer listen to a couple episodes and then we'll 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 see what you what you've got going on we won't see what we got going on right is uh, that right we just won't. i
1: did look into name redacted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i don't think that they they definitely don't know what type of podcast like I think that if Name Redacted knew that we just read and reviewed this book and the content of it, mm-hmm. Name Redacted would redact themselves from their uh, request for a, an interview.
0: Yes, I just, yeah, I'm on the page now. I didn't realize there was a link before because I was looking at this on my phone. Anyway, so there's a quick, so writers, here's how not that's how not to get
1: on a podcast. There are
0: other ways to not get on a podcast. I may start doing a, a series. Maybe well, like I'll a, tell
1: you what. A tutorial series. In, in a twist of fate. They kind of did get on the podcast. <laughs> they did. Name redacted. Good luck with,
0: uh, with your book. You know how you can get on this podcast, though, but not How's for that? much longer. Audition tape. Oh, that's right. So if you haven't heard, um, Rob might be losing me to another podcast, which isn't going to happen, but it's fun to talk about. It's fun for me to talk about, like, when I'm not even talking to Rob. So, yeah. Um, but, in case we need uh, another um, co-host for Booked, we are accepting audition tapes, and and we got one. We so did. This one is from Adam, whose legs don't work. Is that actually
1: his name? Because that's terrible. Um, I believe that. Well, that's at least his podcasting name.
0: Okay. So, uh, Adam sent an audition tape. We've actually mentioned Adam on the show. He's a, a longtime listener and friend of the show who we got to meet at our book release party, which was very, very cool. Um, sent an audition tape. So... Man, he was up against a tough one, so I guess we'll,
1: we'll have to see how this, uh, how this pans out. Yeah, so we're going to run it, and I think we might have one or two things to say afterward.
3: Welcome to Kidding, Booked for Children, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Booked Empire, ruled with iron fists by Rob Olson and Livia Snedden. Other properties include music review podcast Noted and the international parcel delivery review podcast Shipped. Kidding, where one guy tells you about the books he gets to read 37 times a day to his two sweet, adorable, and lovely children. It's only one guy, so I don't have to ask permission to speak every few minutes the way Livius insists that Rob does. In this podcast, we will try to refrain from disparaging anyone from Great Britain or Canada, and we will try to avoid saying basically any of the vile, unrepeatable things Livius lets out of his mouth most days. Also, if it comes up, this podcast will properly pronounce the word capuchin, as in the adorable Central and South American monkey that neither Rob nor Livius were even close on. Capachin? Coop-a-chin? Come on, guys. Would it kill you to watch A National Geographic just once? I am Adam in Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, and today I'm going to talk about the books my young children grab off the bookshelf and ask me to read every time they are supposed to do anything. Is it time to eat breakfast? Daddy, please read the story. Is it time to put shoes on and go anywhere? Daddy, read first. Is it time for me to take a leak? Daddy, I forgot how this one ends. And that is totally a lie, of course. And for that, I blame her father. In honor of book podcasts and plea for horror story suggestions this October, my children chose Maurice Sendak's classic classic tale to terrorize the young ones where the wild things are. About the author. Mr. Sendek's Amazon bio has more words than most of his books, so I'll just use the first part. Quote, For more than 40 years, the books Maurice Sendak has written and illustrated have nurtured children and adults alike, and have challenged established ideas about what children's literature is and should be. End quote. Not from Amazon, but from an interview by Stephen Colbert done shortly before Mr. Sendek's death in 2012 at the age of 83 we see a man who was deeply impacted by the death of many family members during the Holocaust. See why we don't ask Livius on this podcast? But he is able to channel that despair into a lifetime of writing and illustrating, inspiring children's books, and really disliking people, and being mean to anyone who might compliment his work. My daughter's favorite character is our imaginative and mischievous protagonist Max in his wolf costume. My son's favorite is Title Page, which he has torn out piece by piece and enjoys chewing on since I can't take it out of his mouth while I'm holding two wiggling kids and a book. Also, taking the paper out of his mouth would cause crying and screaming. And the point of most children's literature and media throughout history is to make them afraid of the unknown in silence. Sweet, sweet silence. As for the story... Where the Wild Things Are is often described as transformational and revolutionary in children's literature. Millions of people think back to this book as their introduction to the joy and freedom of reading, as well as the reason they refused to close their bedroom door at night until they were 15 years old. To many sane and reasonable people, the main character, Max, is precocious and testing his boundaries, while everyone who took the time to write a one-star review tended to use words like little bastard and cannibal. Max's mother is seen through similarly opposing lenses, as either a compassionate mother trying to build self-confidence and creativity in her young boy, or an ill-equipped, lazy, drug-addled slut who refuses to beat the fear of the Lord into a stubborn little hellspawn. The land that Max sails off to in his attempt to run away, and the title of the book, sounds like a pleasant enough place. It would seem to be a tropical island, since Max took a boat there, and there are palm trees everywhere. It is occupied by enormous and terrifying-looking monsters. But, as my five-year-old tells me, they only eat fish and carrots and love to play games, so so they aren't much to worry about. And that's about as much as I'd like to talk about the story before it gets all spoilery. In the latest book interlude episode, Rob debuted the latest podcast feature that I will dub Looked. This is where opinions are given regarding a book's cover art. Rob rated the cover of Kevin Lynn Helmick's Driving Alone as, quote, I liked it. And I will follow that up with Where the Wild Things Are cover and illustrations as, I really liked it. Going back to Amazon for a minute, there are 624 five-star reviews, 51 impossible-to-please nitwits who put four-star reviews, and 25 ridiculous knobs writing one-star reviews. That means that we have a final Amazon rating of four and a half stars. This should give perspective to anyone hoping to maintain a 5 star review and have more than 6 people review his or her book. It's impossible because most people are stupid. Here are a few of those reviews. A 4 Star by Kia's Mom in Bangalore, India. I bought this book because it is on every single list of best books for 3 year old kids. When I read it for the first time, I was majorly disappointed. Pointless story, confusing messages, strange vocabulary with attention-grabbing, though slightly scary illustrations. I had to read it a few times to figure out how to put across the story to my daughter. But when I read it to her, I could see that she, told, was, she is totally fascinated by it. She wants to hear it again and again, and I often see her examining the illustrations with great interest. So I think it's something between the author and his child audience. I still can't figure out what's so great about this classic. P.S. Yes, she loves it more and more, and now even I started liking the wild things. Strange. And then there's One Star by Fotog Francois. I n- never read this book as a kid because I was born and raised in France. I bought this book for my children and read it prior to watching the movie. They hated the book and hated the movie. They are five and six years old and told me that the little boy is so mean and that the beasts are scary. They looked confused throughout the story and when I tried to explain the story to them, they looked at me like I was crazy. Finally, when we were done reading the book and then watching the movie, they said they didn't like it and didn't want to watch the movie again or read the book. As a parent, I too was a little disturbed with the whole story, and after watching my kids' reactions to it, I'm certain it isn't a book which will remain in my library. Judging by these two reviews, it looks like little Kia had better hurry up and learn to read by herself, so she doesn't have to explain all of Harry Potter to her delicate mom. And then she'll have to track down Francois's little French children, like she's Liam Neeson, and explain to them what it's like to experience real fear. On to the wrap-up. That being said, I give Where the Wild Things Are a rating of five stars for having everything a good children's story should have. Not too many words, engaging pictures, a rhythm that a child can fall asleep to, Enough leeway in a story for a dad to make shit up in the middle? Also, it must have a few extra pages at the front and back for the child to tear out, color on, and as mentioned earlier, chew up. That's all I have for now, but join me next time on Kidding when I brutally attack everyone who has ever said anything bad about Dr. Seuss and try to explain to my five-year-old why I won't let her little brother eat page six of green eggs and ham, even though the point of the story is to not judge things until you try them. And other parenting paradoxes. Now back to Rob and Livius at the booked studio apartment. Keep kidding.
0: Well, that was certainly interesting. Apparently, if you're going to do an audition tape, making fun of us is is a is a requisite.
1: Did you um? Did you notice who he made fun of the most? Uh, me. <laughs> he does make fun of you a lot more. Yeah, oh, um, And I have fifty percent of the vote on this. You do, but he knows that I do the editing, I think. so. That's
0: true. Um, I'm okay with it. I just don't know
1: why everybody thinks that has to be part of the, the process. Really, you could just do this straight and have a good shot at it. Um, I have a, a, a good story about this, which I didn't even tell you. I was saving it for the episode. Okay, so Adam, whose legs don't work, knows me. I think we've talked about it before. I've known him since his legs did work um, that far back. And randomly one day... Uh, About a week and a half ago, I get a text from him and it says, As my Mac and audio help desk, do you know a way to take seven clips audio only, recorded in QuickTime, and stitch them together as one recording? This raised no flags. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, he came to the perfect person because I do a podcast. Still, the connection Mm -hmm. didn't hit. So I told him what to do. And... So he says, sweet, you are awesome. And then like fifteen minutes later I get another text from him. And this is where things start coming together in my mind, he says. Okay, now how do I send it to you as my co-host audition? Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah.
0: Dude, it's tough. We're gonna we're gonna have to uh we're gonna have to pick a winner soon. We're gonna have to do something here. Alright, I say we, we give um, people one more week to send in a tape. Sound good. And on the next week, we'll announce a uh, winner, co-hosting, um, all that good stuff. Does that sound good? I think that's perfectly fair. Cool, cool. So you guys have heard it. Uh, you can go back a couple episodes and catch our unnamed, um, our unnamed audition tape. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun. So we've got some some ideas on what we're going to do with uh, with the winner, and uh, look forward to that next week, where I think we'll probably pick a winner.
1: I think we will. I think it's gonna. We're going to put an end to it. So, uh, can I talk about my road trip? Yeah, your road yeah.
0: trip. I think
1: my road fair trip. That you said
0: that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. My road trip. So here's the whole thing. I went on a road trip, kind of podcast related. Um, went to Chicago, which for me is a road trip because that's farther than I usually go for anything. For me, um, that's driving home. <laughs> yeah, that's driving home from work. <laughs> I uh, Kevin Lynn Helmick and I went to the Sweet Leaf VIP release party that the uh, Julian Grant put together. Um, as you guys may remember, we reviewed a uh, fuckload of Scotch tape. It was our very first movie review that we did, right? First movie did, review, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But not not our last. No, no, but we did the other movie review on a different podcast. So um, no, technically we co. Oh, that's right, because we put co- yeah. So yes, yes, you are correct. You are correct. So yes, it was our first um, film. It was by Julian Grant. This one, Sweet Leaf. Um, Man, this one is uh, is equally as uh, as crazy as as fuckload <laughs> of Scotch tape. Now you saw it right, and just the kind of early screener form. Yeah, said right. So you're pretty familiar with it. Um, we went to public hotel, which sounds like <laughs> the kind of hotel where you'd probably have to like pay by the hour. Yeah. Um, but dude, it's like one of the nicest hotels I've ever been in. God damn it, that place is really pretty. Um, and, uh, and and we got to watch this, which was very very cool. Um, very. Uh, interesting film so you know and if if julian happens to be listening he mentioned at the end he he mentioned um, people's names from movies people he knew so i think this is based on a true story but i'm not really sure (laughs) but basically it's your uh uh you know kind of dumbass criminals uh, you know plot to to do something and all the different ways it goes wrong um but uh interesting fun um, I'm so impressed. You know, he did this in eight weekends with, I don't know what he said, like 200, with two hundred with $2,000. So very impressive for, for, you know, for that. I can't imagine putting something together like that in the course of, you know, 16 days. Um, but anyway, it was very cool to be out there. Um, Julian Grant is actually uh, right now raising money um, mostly to pay, apparently to pay entry fees to be in uh, various um festivals festivals yes that's the word i was looking for so he's uh he's doing a uh kind of like a kickstarter this is an indiegogo campaign so if you're interested for just 10 bucks you can get a digital download copy uh pretty much right away uh i think it's uh, i think julian gets the notice and then you uh you get your copy so 10 bucks and you can check out sweetleaf in the comfort of your own home do you know what makes an appearance in that that we've talked about on the show? I do. The Dan Donji Darkana tarot card set twice appears That's in the right. which is pretty pretty cool. It's kinda nice, you know, and even though you know we kind of run in the same circles or whatever, I was sitting there watching this, I go, Hey, I know hey, I know the. oh I have those. Like I ordered those. That's awesome. So very cool to
1: see that uh on the big screen, so to speak. Kinda gave me the idea that we just need to give Julian a bunch of booked logo merchandise.
2: Yeah.
0: That's uh that's probably not a bad idea. So uh yeah, definitely head over to indiegogo.com. You can search for Sweet Leaf. You have eighteen days, probably seventeen or sixteen, depending on when you're listening to this. Ten bucks, watch this on your TV, you wanna put it on your big screen, just plug your laptop up to your big ass TV. Yeah, dude. Seriously, if you think about it, if you have like a forty five inch TV and you plug in your computer and you sit really close, it's like being in the movie theater. <laughs> Or if you have an Apple TV, yeah, exactly. Also, if you're in the Chicago Land area and really want to feel like you're in a movie theater, Rob will come over and kick the back of your couch, <laughs> Get like every two or three minutes, <coughs>
3: to well, give you I'll that.
0: Be on my phone, yeah, exactly. So be like, who is this bitch? Yeah, but definitely um, check it out. Um, so ten bucks gets you that. Uh, you can do uh, a couple other things, which is really interesting because Julian Grant's like, I'm just going for broke. There's a ten dollar. $100 and a $500. So it's not like that stretch of like mm-hmm. You see those like for a dollar you get our thank you, for 5 bucks you get this, for 10 bucks you get the movie, for $11. and you know, and then there's all the way up to like $10,000. Nope, 100 or $10, <laughs> 100, 500.
1: Yeah. he's really going to get a lot of $10 contributions.
0: That's probably the case, but you know what? All he needs is uh 50 of those and he's good to go on his uh on what he needs to festival submit not bad not bad at all so um man with all these co-host auditions
1: um, we forgot about the other guy that works on the show that's right our man skip papersley we haven't heard from him in a while you know we never made him do an audition dave that's true Well, well his first episode was kind of his audition it was like a pilot episode i guess that's true yeah I guess that's true. So, uh, yeah, but he's back. He's back this week with uh, <laughs> with pretty terrific Booked News. <laughs> All right, um, let's roll that right now. Mm-hmm. Here's Skip Papersley with Booked News.
2: This is Booked News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. The Huffington Post recently selected 11 words that will make you sound, quote, super smart, end quote. Here's the list. Paradoxically oxymoron, ennui, beleaguered, exacerbated, didactic, anathema, logistics, quixotic, non-sequitur, verisimilitude. In the spirit of cheap journalistic rivalry, I will now use all of these words in a single sentence. The list of the Huffington Post 11 words that will make you super smart is paradoxically, oxymoron, ennui, beleaguered, exacerbated didactic, anathema, logistics, quixotic, non sequitur, and verisimilitude. In other news, old-bearded man George R.R. Martin has stated he's actually never going to finish the last Song of Ice and Fire book. Quote, I've worked on this most of my life, and like life, some things just don't get finished, said the gruff author of 23 books. And besides, no ending I come up with will be as good as Breaking Bad. At the time of writing this, Martin was chained to a typewriter in some sort of dungeon. Finally, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Howling its way to number 5 is Dog Song by Mary Oliver. Almost Gone is Gone by James Patterson at number 4. Nicholas Sparks takes a short fall with The Longest Ride at number 3. Catching 40 Winks is Stephen King's Doctor Sleep at number 2. In the front of the pack is John Sanford Stormfront at number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. signing off.
1: I am fairly certain I can't spell any of those goddamn words. <laughs> I did use logistically earlier in the book, or earlier mm-hmm. in the episode, talking mm-hmm. about the book.
0: Yeah. I, um, As a matter of fact, I was trying to go to the website. I can't spell Huffington. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so... I think that's that's the real test is if you know how to find the list. Yeah, no kidding. You might be smart enough to say the words on it. That damn skip paper's always showing us up.
0: <laughs> <sighs> what else do we have? We have this thing. We have this thing we should tease. That's what we have. Since we're that's not really we sure what we're doing next week, mm-hmm. we have this. Let's talk about this for a second. We kinda jokingly mentioned several
1: months ago pretty sure that was on an episode, right? Yeah, we did talk about it on an episode. I was very enthusiastic. You were less enthusiastic, and I have, over the course of several months, worn you down. Donnie Booked. (laughs) It's
0: coming. Um, We're not exactly sure what it is, (laughs) but think Donnie Brook, think Booked Podcast, and think Rob and I are way too lazy to be in any kind of fistfight before you get any great ideas. It's probably not going to happen, yeah.
1: So... Um, not talking about the logistics of uh, what we're gonna do. I will remind everybody what a Donny Brook is, especially in the spirit of the book, Donnie Brook by Frank Bill. Uh, the Donny Brook is kind of this like multi-day like fighting competition where you'll have a bunch of gr- a group of a bunch of people just like brawl it out till there's one winner. Um, but there's multiple groups. There's like you know, like 10, 15, 20, whatever people in a group brawling it out until just one person's left but that happens like 15 20 times so that like there's a final brawl and whoever um comes out there's one person that comes out victorious and that's like the winner of the donnie broken usually there's like a big paycheck for it that type of thing i can
0: tell you there will be no paycheck let me start by saying that it's going that's <laughs> how it's gonna differ a little bit there's probably gonna be less
1: blood and no paycheck yeah so look forward to a Donny Brook style thing coming from Booked um, toward the end of the year, right? Yep. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and it's going to be participatory, so we're going to get our listeners involved. Was that another one of the words from the goddamn Huffington Post? Probably. All right.
0: Um, so again, again, much like... Hyperbolic much like last uh, episode when we said we have no idea what's coming up we have no idea, we've got something we've got a little something in the works I'm not sure if we can put it together in time for next episode or not but next episode we will um, likely have a winner of the Booked Audition Tape Contest we may um, have more details on Donnie Booked you never know,
1: you never know it will pop up on the next show I have a pretty good idea what it's going to be I just don't want to say All right, with that mountain of uh, vagary that we just threw at you, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Booked. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snodden. Keep reading.
0: Does that take place at Donnybrook, Indiana? Did you even read the book?